Well, thank you, Pastor Ledbetter. Hello. And greetings from the United States of America. Glad to be here. This is an honor and a privilege for us to be here in Ireland. Ireland's one of those countries you always want to visit. And so now we've done it, and we're glad. And uh, what a blessing. We love your pastor and his wife, and we've we've been keeping uh, kind of in touch with what's going on here. And so we're excited about what God's doing here in this area uh, with the gospel. And it's a blessing to see all of you. And those of you who know Christ as your Savior, you are my brother and my sister. We've got a big family in the Lord, don't we? And uh, it's good to see you all. Well, we um, I grew up as a um, rock and roll musician. I was a professional. I played uh, concerts and made records and all those kinds of things. I used to have a big afro about this big, and it was gold, and I had a big Fu Manchu mustache. It was painted gold, and um, yeah, that was my whole lifestyle. And when I was 23 years old, a friend of mine who was also in the rock and roll business, he had gotten saved, and he started witnessing to me. Now, I'd, I'd always believed in God. I'd always believed all the things about the Lord. You know, I knew He was God. I knew He came to earth. I knew He became a man. I knew, I believed about Easter, that He died on the cross. I believed all that. Because I had a grandmother who was a Baptist, and she would keep telling me these things as I grew up. Uh, but I never really knew what it meant personally to me. It was sort of like I knew who George Washington was, and I believed he did all the things he did. And uh, there are historic figures that we all know about, and we believe they existed, and we believe they did what they did, but what does it have to do with me, right? And uh, one day I was out, uh, another musician, I had moved from Pittsburgh to the Erie area, and another musician from Pittsburgh had come up to visit me, and we decided we were going to go out to this stream, a creek really, and it had some swimming holes in it. And we'd go out there and I'd show him how beautiful it was. And to get there, you had to walk down through the woods on a trail and go way down, 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 down. And there was the river. Well, we had spent a lot of time down there. And I got to a certain point of the creek. And I said to my friend, you go on ahead. I'm just going to sit here and wait for you. Because I'd been up there. I'd already seen it. So I sat on this great big rock. And I remember what my friend Fred had been telling me. He said, I had to be born again. And I prayed to God. And all I knew how to do was, I just said, God, Fred said I need to be born again. But if I, if I have to be born again to go to heaven, I'd like to do that. But if I don't have to be born again, I just want to go about my business. But how am I going to know if what Fred's telling me is true? How am I going to know I need to be born again? Now, this is all I knew how to talk to God. And so my friend came back and we started going back to where we came down through the woods and it got dark. I mean, it was dark. It was dark. You couldn't see your hands here. And we said, no, we can't go up through there. It was a dangerous trail. What are we going to do? So we said, let's walk downstream and find another way out. We walked down. Finally, there was this train trestle that went way up there across the gorge. We said, well, let's go up there and across there. So we climbed up the hill. I had a great big rock in my hand. Wanted to take home as a souvenir. <laughs> so everywhere we go, we have a souvenir, right? Yeah. 
So we walked up and we started walking across the bridge. And the bridge had a walkway next to the rails. And the the walkway had sections of concrete and sections of wood. It's dark. Remember? So I'm walking in front of my friend. And I'm carrying my rock. And I stepped into a section where there was supposed to be wood. And it had rotted out. And I fell right through that section. And I'm talking, you know, we're talking probably 150, 200 feet down. I mean, it was way down. And into the rocks and all that. And so I fell through there. And I let go of my rock. And I, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to fall all the way to the bottom. And as I was falling, it only took seconds. But all of a sudden, my hands were holding on to something. And my pant leg was hold, was held by a nail or something. I don't know what it was, but like this. And I'm hanging over that gorge going. And I hear my rock. And in my mind, I saw myself fall down into the darkness. And in my mind, I honestly, I saw my daughters. I had two baby girls, twins. They were in black veils, and my wife was in a black veil. And my mind said to me, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. And then I realized I was hanging there. And my mind said, you're going to live, you're going to live, you're going to live. And meanwhile, my friend, when he saw me fall, he's, he went to his knees. He crawled over to the hole, and he's looking down the hole. And he's calling for me. And, and I don't recollect this, but he told me I, I came out of there like somebody shot me out of a cannon. And I landed on the railroad tracks. And he came over to me and he said, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said to him, God just saved my life. And then I kind of went into shock and he had to get me home and took me home and sat me in a chair. This is what I'm told. Well, for a short period after that, I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I'd touch myself. I'd say, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'd wake my wife. I'm alive. I'm alive. And she'd say, yeah, I know. Go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. And then I remembered. I remembered I was driving in my car on 6th Street. And I remembered the prayer that I prayed to God. And it was as if God said, all right, you want to know if you need to be born again? How about if I hang you over the cliff and then pull you back? And I said, yes, sir. And I didn't—I really didn't understand a sinner's prayer, but I knew this. I knew I was a sinner. I knew if I'd have died that night, I'd have went to hell. And I was so thankful that I didn't. And all I said to God was, I said, dear God, I don't know how to do this, but I want Jesus to be my Savior, just like he's Fred's Savior. And that was my sinner's prayer. And from that moment on, my life began to change. And when I was, I was making a record in Pittsburgh, and God started dealing with my heart and saying, you can't do this the rest of your life. I don't want you to do this anymore. But that's what I groomed myself for. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. And God said, but that's not my plan for you. And so I told the, I told the fellow, I said, well, you know, I, I, we, we did the record, and I said, I, I gotta quit. He said, why? I told him he thought I was. So I quit. And then one morning, I was a drummer. And I probably had a drum set that would fill up all this area. 
I had a music store, so I had this huge, gigantic drum set with cymbals everywhere. And I was praying one day, and the Lord, I wanted to serve God. I said, dear God, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. And he said to my heart, he said, how can you serve me when your old God is still in the basement? I said, oh. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, you get rid of the old God. See, I told God, I want to play music for you. I wanted to have a rock band for Jesus. I did. And he said, I'll tell you what, you get rid of it, and if I want you to have a rock band for Jesus, I'll give him back to you. So I said, okay, and I sold him. And he never gave him back to me. And I, then, then he, he called me uh, to start a ministry, and that was called the Christian Library. It was the world's first public lending library of Bible-believing Christian material. And several magazines did articles on me and so forth with this particular ministry. And it was in the inner city. And then God started speaking to my heart about starting a church in the inner city. And I said, Lord, are you really? I mean, me of all people. I hadn't been to Bible college. Um, I had never thought about it before. It was never something I had planned on doing. And I went to a conference, a Bible conference, and as I was sitting in this, up in the, uh, in the auditorium, every preacher that came up at that conference chipped away every excuse that I had. Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I'm not trained. Lord, blah, 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 blah. All the excuses we come up with. He peeled every one of them away through the preaching, and I went forward, and I, I went forward and gave myself, I said, I'll go home and start a church. So I went home, quit my job, rented a storefront, and then God just kept blessing. So that's my testimony. And uh, the sad thing is, in my, I see today, and this isn't part of the message, this is just free. I'll just give you this. Um, one of the things that I see today that bothers me is that young people, you're running toward the very thing I ran away from. I want to tell you something. There's nothing there except heartache and hurt. There's nothing there. So don't run to it. Stay away from it. And may your testimony be that you never had it. You were never part of it. And so uh, my wife is with me today, and uh, she's been, we've been together since we were 14 years old. And she's been there all the time, put up with me, all those years in the rock and roll business. And then I got saved, and quit my job, and all those things, and there she was right there. And so, praise the Lord for a good wife. Amen. All right. Is that good, preacher? Is that enough? Uh, All right. Okay. And so now the Lord's blessed us, and we we got a storefront. We originally had a storefront, and then we had to get two storefronts. And then we were in the storefronts, and then we bought an old dance hall and took five bars out of it and transformed it into a church in the inner city. And then we were growing there, and we had to buy homes, houses, and tear them down just to have green space. We had three houses we tore down just so we could have a parking lot and green space. And finally, we kept needing room, and we said, we can't keep buying houses and tearing them down. So we sold that building, and then we purchased some land and built a brand new building that you saw on the slides there. And so that's my history of what God can do with nothing. And nobody. You understand? Nothing and nobody. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So without him, I'm just nothing. And I'm a nobody. But with him, I can do all things. 
And so God made a whole whole universe out of nothing. Right? Think what he can do with this room. Huh? Amen. All right. Well, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 11 today. John chapter 11. I'll read for you verses 1 through 6, and you could follow with me in your Bibles if you would, please. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary, which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that he saith to his disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you today. Lord, you're so kind to us. Gracious and merciful, loving and generous. Father, we thank you for your attributes. We thank you for who you are and how you are and what you do. Father, we serve a God who's not just a name on a piece of paper. He's the God who does things. Thank you for being alive and true. Now, my Lord, I pray that you'd bless today as we look into your word. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd open the lips of your servant to speak. And by your Holy Spirit, open the hearts of every person here to receive with meekness the engrafted word. Help us today, Lord. Strengthen us. Guide us and direct us. Magnify yourself. Glorify your Son. Edify your people and save the lost. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I read this chapter, I saw myself all through this chapter. I see you all through this chapter. Why? Because throughout this entire chapter, everyone is questioning the Lord Jesus. Here is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, and everybody thinks they seem to know something he doesn't. They seem to think they know how they have a better perspective than him. Perhaps they think, you know, he's missing something or he's just not getting it. Just like we do. Oh yeah, we do. We often question God. Whether we realize it or not, we're like these people here, like Martha, like Mary, like the others. You see, most of the time, you and I are concerned with physical matters, are we not? But the Lord Jesus is concerned with spiritual matters. And we, you and I live in the now. He lives in eternity. We can only see what's in front of us. He sees everything at once. We are fixated on the present and the physical and that which is before us at the moment. We live from moment to moment. But he dwells a part of all the restrictions of time and space. And that is just the way it is, folks. We're so concerned about the physical. You know, 
I am constantly amazed at the long-suffering and kindness of the Lord Jesus toward us. Have you ever thought about that? I often wonder why He puts up with me. Did you ever... And I, 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 did you ever, did you ever hate yourself? Yeah, I, I hate myself sometimes. And I just say, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What's the matter with me? Right? Sometimes you feel like if you could kick yourself, you would. Have you ever worked with someone who is just kind of slow going? And, uh, you know, you've tried to explain something to them. And they just don't seem to get it. And you explain it again, and they don't get it. And you explain it again, and they don't get it. And you kind of get frustrated, right? Now, you multiply that a thousand times a thousand, and that's the Lord working with us. Have you ever said to your children, how many times I got to tell you? They can't answer that question. (laughs) I think the Lord looks it up sometimes and says, how many times I got to tell you? How many times I got to tell you? I've written all this. How many times you got to read this? How many times I got to tell you? We're just like that. And yet he never gets frustrated. He never gets fed up with us. He just keeps working with us in his gracious, long suffering and his love. At every turn, he challenges us to rise up and to step up and to seek to be more like him. And that's just how we see him right here in this chapter. The one who inhabits eternity. The one who has created all things. The one who came to earth, God walking in human flesh, deity incarnate, is dealing with the simpletons. Right? That's what we are. You know, we think we're, we think we're adults. My wife said, I've never grown up yet. But we think we're so mature. We're just little children. Doesn't he call us, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not? And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He calls us his little children. And sometimes we think we know more or know better than our parent, our spiritual father. I don't know about you, but sometimes my children used to think they knew more than me. I, I knew more than my dad, right? I mean, you know, I, I'm talking about he was old. He was 35 years old. And I felt sorry for the old man. One day he was out in the front yard and he had been doing a lot of work and there's a shovel and he's leaning on a shovel. He's like 35, leaning on a shovel, taking a break. I remember looking out the window and feeling so sorry for the old fella. <laughs> and I thought I knew more than he did. What's he know? He's old. Sometimes we get like that. And while he was here clothed in the physical body, we as physical beings found it difficult to see beyond his flesh and see his godness. Just as we look about us today and we see physical beings at every hand, And sometimes we forget there's a soul inside that physical body. We forget there's a spiritual part to them. And we only deal with them on the physical, and we don't deal with them on the spiritual, and we don't do really anything for them if that's all we do. 
We can feed people and clothe people and educate people and make life comfortable for people. But if they die and go to hell, what did we do for them? We just made them comfortable going to hell. It's like I'm on an airplane and it's going down and somebody says, well, here's a pillow. (laughs) Even those closest to the Lord Jesus found it difficult to navigate their relationship with him because the physical kept getting in the way. And I believe that's why his disciples and Mary and Martha and the others reacted the way they did in this chapter with doubts, and questions, and suggestions, and advice for Jesus. You ever give Jesus advice? Sure you have. And so, the message this morning is entitled, Love Comes. The man, Christ Jesus, is love manifested in the flesh. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, teaches us that Jesus is God. So if God is love, then guess what Jesus is? Jesus is love. Now, He does not just love, He is love. You and I can love, but He is love. Without Him, there is no love. Without Jesus, who is love, you wouldn't know what love is. Without Jesus, who is peace, you wouldn't know what peace is. Without Jesus, who is joy, you wouldn't know what joy... You see how dependent all of humanity is on the very being of the Lord Jesus? Because without Him, we wouldn't know these things. Well, we wouldn't exist, but we wouldn't know these things. Love is what we do. Love is who He is. And so, the account in John chapter 11 is all about love. So let's look at John chapter 11 just for a little bit. And my first point today is this. If you're taking notes, number one, love waits. Love waits. Look at this. I find this very interesting. 11 verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick... He abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, this is probably the hardest part of love for us finite, temporary, physical beings to grasp. Sometimes love rushes to the rescue. But sometimes love waits. The fact that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus is clearly stated in verse 5. And one would think that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, that he would immediately have gotten up and gone to be with Lazarus. I mean, preacher, when somebody calls you and said, Preacher, I'm in the hospital and and I'm, I'm having heart problems. You don't abide where you are for two days. What would you think? If you called your preacher up and you said, I'm dying here, preacher, I'm in the hospital, I don't have much time. And he said, okay, I'm going to come down a couple days. Jesus abode in the same place for two days. And no one in the chapter understood it. Look at verse 21. Look at Martha. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Look at Mary in verse 32. 
Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now look at the other people that are here in the chapter, verse 37. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So everybody's questioning Jesus. Lord, what took you so long? Why didn't you come? You could he didn't have to, you could, huh? Now, before we move on, I just want to point out something to you. Most people have a greater opinion of Mary than they do of Martha. Am I correct? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus came and it's recorded that he said to Martha that she was cumbered about much serving and that Mary had chosen the good part. But, you know, that's only one incident in their lives. Their lives were much more than what you read in the scripture. And so look at the gracious kindness of the Lord, because in verse 5, instead of giving the prominence to Mary, he gives the prominence to Martha and just lists Mary as her sister. We usually think of Mary as the exalted one, and Martha, you know, but here Jesus took it around and he said, Martha, oh, and her sister. See? Isn't God good? So what happened? Love waited. Waited for what? The fullness of time. You see, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing, even though no one else did. He did not allow their expectations or their desires or their misunderstandings or even their criticism to intimidate him or influence him into doing something rash or changing his perfect will. Isn't that, aren't you glad for that? You see, you and I, we can be intimidated by people. And sometimes pastors can be intimidated by the expectations of his congregation. Because you all have expectations of your pastor. And sometimes, if, 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 we don't, if we're not careful, we allow those expectations of others to dictate what we might do. Not Jesus. Why? He's perfect. He's the perfect man. He had to wait. And so that one of the most remarkable miracles in the New Testament could be performed, he waited. This is one of the greatest miracles, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. But he had to wait. So the first thing we have to learn about Jesus, about love, is sometimes love waits. And maybe right now, you're waiting for love to come. You're waiting for Jesus to answer a prayer. You're waiting for Jesus to do something. You're waiting for him to come and take care of this. Sometimes love waits. You know why? He's waiting for the perfect time to do it. Number two, love comes. Look at verse 7. Then after that, he saith to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. It's time to move. And love came to where they were. You know what? Love comes to where we are, doesn't it? Aren't you glad for that? We were lost as, a, as humans. We're lost and on our way to hell, but love came to where we were. Amen. Now, why, why didn't love come in the second century? Uh, 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 like, like AD, uh, BC. Why didn't, why didn't love come sometime in BC? Fullness of time. The Bible says in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And he works the same way in your life, in my life. See, he's never in a hurry. 
You and I, we get all anxious, we fret, we fume, we fuss, right? We wring our hands and we get all anxious. Jesus never gets anxious. He's never at a loss for what to do. And you understand, he has known from eternity past every contingency of every contingency of every contingency, right? Nothing has escaped him. And so he waited until it was time to come. And that's what he's doing in your life right now. He's waiting to the perfect time. Now, he came not when they thought he should. And that's just how we are. We think we know when the Lord should come, and we think we know when the Lord should do this, and when the Lord should do that. Listen, I don't, the Bible tells me I don't even know what shall be on the morrow. And yet I'm expected to sit in judgment upon when God comes and when God does. Well, maybe Jesus didn't know that Lazarus was dead. Maybe that is why he stayed where he was. Well, look at verse 11. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he, do, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they, that, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So it wasn't like Jesus was wondering, I wonder if he's still alive. No, he knew he was dead. He waited until Lazarus died. Then he said, let's go. You know what? That tells me that Jesus can come whenever he wants to come and take care of anything he wants to take care of. The man is dead. Right? And you can't wait any longer than that. Verse 15, he gives a reason why he waited. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. What? Jesus is saying, if I can put it this way, I'm glad he died. (laughs) How would you feel? Someone you love dies and the pastor says, well, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad he died. (laughs) No. He said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now he's talking like he's, you know. Jesus is saying, I'm glad I wasn't there because you guys, i got to show you something. It's one thing to heal the sick, right? It's a whole other thing to raise the dead. This is something that only the death of Lazarus could accomplish. Look at Martha's declaration in verse 28. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. When the Master comes, he always comes on time. And the Master will always come. They didn't doubt that he was coming. They were just questioning what took him so long. They knew he would come because they knew he loved them. And I'm saying to you today, my friend, he's coming to help you. Whatever your situation is, whatever your need is, he's on his way. He's coming. He'll come. He won't leave you out there to dry. Don't give up on him. Don't sell him short. Don't doubt. 
that he loves you. And if he is waiting, it's the right thing, even if you don't understand it. We need to trust him because he knows what he's doing and he knows why he's doing it. It may seem like forever, but the master will come. Point number three. Love waits. Love comes. Point number three, verse 35, is love weeps. Look at verse 35. It's the first verse children memorize. The shortest in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible as if nothing more needs to be said. This is God weeping. This is love weeping. And why is he weeping? I think there are several reasons he's weeping. Verse 33 He saw the tears of Mary. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, you see, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit, was troubled, and then he wept. I think he's weeping also, not only because he saw her tears, but I think he's weeping because they're questioning him. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? He's weeping because they did not know him. Look at verse 23. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. They didn't know him. They knew him, but they didn't know him. Do you understand? I think that, I think that made him weep. What did he say to Philip? How long... How long have I been with you, Philip, and yet thou hast not known me? Remember when he said, show us the Father? Look at verse 25. Again, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So they didn't know him. And then I believe he was weeping because they did not trust him. They thought him uncaring, perhaps, or maybe unconcerned, or maybe they considered him impotent to do anything about the death of Lazarus. Look at verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. You see, he's groaning. That word groaning, if you, it really means to have indignation. It, it, it has this meaning, like, <sighs> you ever feel like that? Huh? That's how Jesus felt. Because they're questioning him. Couldn't he have saved him? Couldn't he have kept him alive? Could and he's just he's just at the point where he's thinking <sighs> as he's walking over the grave. He knows what he's gonna do, they don't. But they weren't trusting him. That means it cut him to his heart. That they did not understand who he was. They impugned his motives, his love, and his power. And sometimes love weeps when no one else knows. As the Lord did in Garden of Gethsemane. Nobody knew he was weeping there. But he was weeping alone. How many times he must have wept over his disciples and his friends. And indeed the whole world. There are times of weeping that... Only you and God know about. Broken hearts weep. Impugned 
motives weep. Misunderstood actions weep. Misapplied words weep. And no doubt you've wept because of love. And Jesus is weeping because of love. That's who he is. Many a child has grown to be a parent, and then they finally understood what it means to be a parent. How many parents have heard a young person say to them, You don't love me! And it cuts that parent right to the heart. Because that parent is doing what is perfectly best for their child, and their child can't even understand it. Their child cannot see it. And they accuse their parent of not loving them because they won't acquiesce to them. Jesus knows what that feels like. We have expectations. We have demands upon him that he will not fulfill because he loves us too much. He knows to wait. He knows when to come. And he weeps. Love weeps. We will only know how many times that the Lord Jesus wept for us and the only how many times he wept because of us Maybe someday when we get to heaven. But when we get to glory, then and there we'll understand and out of our lips we'll issue cascades of gratefulness and praise when we know how much He loved us. Now my last point is in verse 45. It's this, love knows best. And many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, what happened? They believed on him. Now, I want you to notice this. Listen. Many of the Jews which came to Mary and had what? Seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. The Lord Jesus saw the entire chapter unfold before the world began. He saw verse 45 way back in verse 1. He knew what was best and he couldn't even explain it to his disciples, for they were incapable of getting it. They had to see it. Didn't they? He did explain it to them, didn't he? So I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there. And they're going, what? Now they get over here, and they see Lazarus resurrected from the dead. Now they're going, I see, I see. The disciples had to see it. Mary and Martha had to see it. The Jews had to see it. Those who would get saved, it says right here, had to see it. And even the enemies of Christ had to see it so they could be without excuse. They had to see that He was the resurrection. They had heard about Jesus being a resurrection. He told it to them in verses 24 and 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now we go over here to the grave and they see he really, he's the resurrection and the life. It reminds me of what Job said at the end of his ordeal. Here's what he said in Job 42.5. He said this, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth. Big difference, isn't there? Here's the difference. You come to church, 
Your preacher faithfully preaches the Word of God to you. He tells you about the Lord and how He loves you and how He'll care for you and all those things are wonderful and you get them all and you hear them all. But you know what? Then comes that time in your life when you see everything the preacher taught you actually happen, actually unfold, actually come to reality in your life. You see it. Job said, I heard of, I heard of you. But now I see it. The disciples heard it in verse 24 and 25, but now they see it. And the Jews heard it, but now they saw it. And what did they do once they saw it? They believed. Sometimes people just need to see Jesus in you. They need to see the change He makes. And they'll believe. If, you, if you're going to tell them about Jesus and how wonderful He is and He's the Savior and He'll forgive your sins and He'll save your soul and He'll give you eternal life and they don't see nothing in you, they're just hearing it. They look at you and they go, well, what did it do for you? Nothing changed in your life. You're still a mess. We're all a mess, by the way. <laughs> Jesus just keeps it together, amen? But you understand what I'm saying? There was a change in my life when I got saved. And that change was made by Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ. I didn't roll my sleeves up and say, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a preacher. They need to see Jesus in you. They need to see that He is the resurrection and life. That you died with Him. You were buried with Him. You rose again, the Bible says, unto new life. And now you're supposed to walk in newness of life. People need to see that. We can go to church all our lives, read the Bible through every year and hear the best of preaching, but sometimes we just need to see it. There are times in our life when love waits because we need to see. There are times in our life when love weeps because we need to see. There are times in our lives when love comes so that we may see. And love knows when the best time and the best way and the best place is for us to see. And you might say to me, well, preacher, aren't we supposed to live by faith and not by sight? Isn't faith the evidence of things hoped for? Uh, 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 Yes, of course it is. These people in this chapter did not ask to see. See, there's the difference. They didn't ask to see. But Jesus knew they needed to see. And so he worked it out to meet their need to see. If you're going to ask Jesus, I need to see, I need to see, now you don't have faith. But you can have faith. And Jesus knows when you need to see something in your life that he does. He knows when others need to see something in your life that he does. The Bible says this, he's so gracious and kind to us. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth we're but dust. You are just a dust ball that he went into. You ever clean under the bed? You know, dust balls rolling around under there? There you are. You're a bit dust. You thought he was waiting because he didn't care. He's waiting because he does care. You think he should have come sooner. He didn't come sooner because he knows best. He weeps for you when you don't know it and He comes when you don't expect it because He is totally awesome. Trust Him. Let's bow for a word of prayer.
Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And those of you in this room, I don't know any of you except by name. And I don't know if you're saved or not, but you do. And the Lord does. The Bible said the Lord knoweth them that are His. And He looks in this room this morning and He goes up and down these rows and He said, that one's mine and that one's mine and that one's mine. But when He comes to you, can He say you are His? Or does He have to say, I want this one to be mine? If you know Christ is your Savior, dear believer, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You have questioned His love or you have doubted His care or you've complained about His timing. He's waiting even now, isn't He? And you're wondering why. Trust Him. He'll come and He'll do what He alone can do and you will see that He knows best. Maybe this morning there's a Christian in this room that's saying, Preacher, boy, that hit home for me today and I needed to hear that He loves me and He's waiting and He's coming. Would you lift your hand and say, That's me. I'm here this morning and Yes, thank you. I needed to hear about the Lord waiting because I've been wondering what's taking them so long. Anybody else like that here today? Just say, yes, preacher, I'm here. Yes, there are hands going up here and there. All right, there are more going up. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. He will come through for you. And maybe there are some here today that have never been saved. Do you realize that He's waiting right now? He's waiting for you. And you know why He's waiting for you? Because He loves you and He wants you to be saved. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But His long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting for you because He loves you. And He wants you to trust Him to forgive your sins and save your soul. And maybe there's someone in this room today that would say, you know, preacher, I... I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven and I don't know for sure that I'm saved, but I would like to. I'd like to pray for you. I don't even know your name, but God does. Would you lift your hand up and just say, here am I. I'm really not sure about that. I'm, yes, thank you. I'm like you were, preacher, when you were 23. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. Anybody like anybody else? Would you slip your hand up and say, yep, pray for me anonymously because I need Jesus and I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, we thank you today. You are so gracious and kind and awesome. Lord, our little puny words fall so far short of describing you and all your glory and power. But they're all we have. And so we want to use the biggest and the best and the greatest of those words to say thank you. And I pray for those that raised their hands and said, Lord, I'm waiting and it seems like it's a little longer than I should be. I pray for those who need to trust you in a certain circumstance or situation or a need. I'm praying for those, my father, who raised their hand and said, you know, sometimes I question, sometimes I doubt. I, I believe, but I'm like the man in the Bible that said, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. And then I pray, Father, for that one or more in this room that really do not know absolutely for sure that when they die they'll go to heaven because they trusted Christ and they know what that means. I pray you'd help that one today come to that saving knowledge of Christ. I pray you'd work in their heart and in their life. I pray that, Lord, today they'd talk to the preacher and get it settled before it's eternally too late. 
Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.